Let's uh, go right to our Bibles this morning to Mark, the book of Mark, uh, chapter 12. We'll begin reading at verse 38 through verse 44. Um, These two passages are normally split, but uh, as you know, context is everything. Um, Mark chapter 12, beginning now at verse 38. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. May God add a special blessing reading his word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we once again thank you for being in this place that we're able to freely worship you, to lift up your name, to praise your name. Father, we thank you for all of the love that you've shown us through Jesus Christ. This one that now is speaking in the temple, we find him on Wednesday of the Passion Week, a long day, speaking to the people. And moving, transitioning, Father, to what would be in two more days, him hanging on a cross. Bearing our burden, bearing our sin. Because you, Father, determined before the beginning of the world that literally Jesus would pay for sin. Father, it's somber, it's humbling. But above all, we thank you for giving us the gift of life of love. For these moments before us now, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher as we look to the Word of God that He would use it to go to the innermost parts of our being, showing where we're wrong, encouraging us moving forward. Father, we are yours, looking with anticipation how you will change us, make us more like Jesus. Again, we rest on you and your promises in the word, praising your name, asking this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been uh, traveling through the last week of Jesus' life on earth, Passion Week as we've come to know it, and uh, it's been a long week, it's been a long day. We're still on Wednesday, we've been gathering on Wednesday for about Six weeks. (laughs) It's been a very long day for Jesus. Uh, Monday was a a coronation day. It was the day that Jesus was actually crowned. He set it up. He went and told the disciples to go to a neighboring village, Bethage, and they gathered up the ride, the steed for the event, (laughs) a donkey. And as Jesus was riding through Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands of people would have been gathered for Passion Week. This was the time of Passover. This is the time that literally the pilgrims would come from all across the land to go to the temple, to be in this place of where literally was the 
the most commemorative feast that they'd ever had since in Egypt as that final plague of which the Egyptians fell prey to, the death of the firstborn. And all of those, those Israelites were asked at that time, as Moses gave direction, to take an unblemished lamb, to slay it, to take the blood and put it on the doorposts, of the, and the angel of death would pass over, obviously called Passover. Jesus is declared for us in the New Testament as being our Passover, exactly what we worship and celebrate him for. You're here today with life and with liberty in the sense of being free in Jesus Christ because of Jesus being our Passover. God can pass over our sin when we accept Christ by faith. Amazing what God has done for us. It's, it's truly amazing. This Jesus, just two more days away, literally on his last physical week on earth, he will be hanging on a cross. And yet on Monday of this week, he was crowned king. The crowds were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. We looked at that last week, a messianic title, something that was given to that one to be coming, the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And yet by Friday, the same week, they would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. What in the world happened? <laughs> well, on Tuesday, the first day after him being crowned, if you were going to ask the typical Israel inhabitant, citizen, the Jew, if you will, uh, anyone, ask anyone, who is our biggest problem? Who is the one, or what is the biggest problem? And they would say, absolutely, without any hesitation, the Romans. we got to get rid of the Romans. The Romans are number one public enemy. We have to get rid of them. Well, what do you think Jesus did the next morning on Tuesday morning? He probably went in and started doing business against the Romans. Probably went to the embassy. <laughs> probably wasn't one of those. Uh, what would have happened? It wouldn't have went well. In fact, there are those that still believe the reason that Jesus was crucified, that was dead, was because he went against the Romans. The Rome, he just went too far. He just stepped too far across the line. He was trying to do too much too fast, and it was seen as an insurrection, and he just, it was, it was squashed. He had to die because he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, a million times no. He took on Tuesday morning the biggest problem that this world has ever had, and that is sin. And where did it start? In the temple. <laughs> in the temple. Today, this passage that we just read literally is surrounding those that were manning, that were running, that were doing business, and I do mean business, in God's temple. As we described the temple over the last number of weeks, it was in scale and size of about 35 acres. That's good for farmers and ranchers like myself. I can do that. And I think of 35 acres in this little pivot out here is 35 acres. And I'm just thinking, that's a rather large temple. It's a la that's a big place. And it was so large that actually they were doing it got a great disfavor in every way. Uh, we've spoken of it. I can't hardly stop but mentioning it. The lower gates of that were actually kept open, and the thoroughfare, the business roadway, was going through the bottom end of the temple. You've got to be kidding me. 
And this is God's, remember Jesus, he came in and that was his job on Tuesday, was to clean this place up. It wasn't the first time either. That's what made him so mad for three years. They wanted his hide nailed to a cross now because literally he did this at the beginning of the ministry. John chapter 2, he went and cleaned it up the first time. How long did it last? Uh, not very long, just about like this time. What do you think it was like the next week after Jesus was dead? I'm sure it didn't take very long, right? Because why? It's an external thing. This is what Jesus came. He wanted to go to the internal aspects of every, He does it with us. You'll never be changed if you want to clean the outside. I've heard of people say, well, I've just got to clean up my life before I can get right with Jesus. No, stop. You can't do that alone. That's a Jesus thing. That's a God thing. You must let him take care of the inside. And the outside takes care of itself. He's the same message. It's the same Jesus. In John chapter 8, we might go there for a moment. Well, we'll, we'll wait for a moment. Somebody bring that up. John chapter 8. We find him in exactly the same place in John 8 as we find him right here in Wednesday as he talks to the disciples and to the crowd. And Wednesday is a really interesting day after he cleared it out on Tuesday. And uh, we know that as he entered the city in Luke chapter 19, I believe it's verse 41, as he looked over Jerusalem, Jesus Christ... Now, if you go to Matthew chapter 23, you'll find a lot of condemnations. Woe to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe. And woe means cursed or damnation. Literally, to be cursed. That's the way to make friends. Called them vipers, snakes. The whole chapter of Matthew 23 is literally the whole unfolding of what would have been latter part of Wednesday. It's the fullest disclosure of what Jesus said to those that were in charge religiously. He left no punches unpunched. He was literally right there in their face. Why? Because they were to be the light of the world, and they were literally dark, dark vessels. He'd had enough. He was done. In fact, on this Wednesday now, as he's come back, this was probably the highlight of the week. This is where the people, the common people were literally in this place. He was in the court of women. This would have been where everyone could be. And he was teaching. He was sharing what really was on his heart, what was really supposed to be in God's temple. That was Wednesday. It was a very, very busy day. But it was also a day of transition. You can start to see now, there was three events that we've talked about the last three, actually it was previous to that. The last month we looked at three different occasions. We also looked how Jesus responded, but the first was that this was a plot to take him out. The first plot came from the Pharisees and the Herodians, the political party of the group, they were those that were friends with the ruling party within Israel. Uh, the family of Herod, which those were great people. <laughs> Anyone that's done a study on, on the Herodians, uh, not taking of the political party itself, but the family of Herod, despicable, evil, as bad as you can make them kind of people. They would kill themselves, literally. And they were the ones that came to Jesus and said, we're, we've got a plan. We're going to take him out. All we got to do is talk about taxes. Taxes are a hot topic today. Go to any place in America and you want to talk about, do you, do you like taxes? There is an opinion. There is absolutely an opinion. I'm so glad. I mentioned it last week. We've got, a, I guess there's another 87,000 people that are currently unemployed. They're going to work for IRS to make sure they're better at collecting taxes in our country. Oh, well, good be. I, I, I can think of other places 87,000 people could maybe go to work and actually create something that would do some good. So you can take my position on more taxes as well. <laughs> but the point of the matter is, is Jesus handled just skillfully, in, in, with incredible wisdom that's beyond what we can even comprehend. They thought they had nailed to the wall. <laughs> and he says, is it right, they said, is it right to pay taxes to the Romans? 
Now, there's two things that are actually, the Romans are despised and, and hated. Any person would, as a Jew would not want to do anything for the Romans, but secondarily actually pay them. Jesus said, well, do you have a coin? They scrambled and probably found one quickly. And here, now they, now, what are you going to do? We've got you. We've got you nailed. And he said, well, I guess, whose image is on that coin? Well, that's Caesar's. And, of course, it would be because they actually prided themselves in thinking they were actually a son of God. And so for a Jew to hold that coin was actually blasphemous in its very nature. But he said, well, I think I'd give back to Caesar's what's his. But by the way, be sure and give God what's his. Oh, brilliant. I mean, you talk about, I don't know how you could leave more shamefully than that. Totally destroyed everything they came with. It was awesome. I would have liked to have just been there. In fact, the people enjoyed listening to this. You find this in the passage in Mark that people enjoyed listening to. Now, they were, it's interesting, though. They didn't enjoy it enough to really be taken to the heart. They repented because this was the Son of God. This was the one that Jesus had just gotten done. His last invitation at the end of, well, let me, let me finish the other two incidents. So the Pharisees and Herodians, they traipse off. In come the Sadducees, arch enemies of the Pharisees, philosophically, theologically. And they came with the question they'd asked the Pharisees on numbers of occasions. Uh, there's this family of seven brothers. And there's one woman who was married to the first and oldest brother, and he dies without any heirs. So according to the law, then the second brother to pass on the lineage of his the oldest brother, to keep the inheritance lines and land and all of that, was that, that's how you did this. It's biblical. So they go through, of course, all seven brothers married to the same woman. I'm, I'm sorry, brother three, brother four, if I'm he, I'm gone. I'm not, that's enough for me. I've seen enough history. We're, not, we're, we're gone. But seven, of course, we finished it all off, and then, and then the woman passes away as well. So the question is, Jesus, we have you trapped. In the resurrection, which they don't believe in, so obviously this thing is just, it's, they're just making it all up. The Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in anything supernatural. They do not believe in angels. They don't believe in any of that stuff. But they said, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be, Jesus? He said, there is no marriage in heaven. <sighs> we didn't see that coming. <laughs> and away they go, right? Just boom, boom, boom. There, they're gone. At this point, and the people are loving this. They actually are. This is, and, and by the way, this, this is the part that's so sinister in all of this. This is the one place that Jesus is attacking is the religious circles. The place that is be, the light of the people. The place that are, people are trusting their lives spiritually to. This is the place they should be able to trust the pastors and teachers. and you know We're using scribes and Pharisees for us today. By the way, it's rampant here today as well. You flip on the television to TBN, you go there, and you're going to hear prosperity gospel. They're going to tell you to send money so that you can be blessed. That's a, that's a lie from hell. The prosperity gospel, that, that is totally, totally of, de of the devil, just like these guys were. Jesus hates that stuff. He hates it with a passion. That's why he's taking it on face on, just go get them. But there's one more scribe that came, the third guy that came, because they still thought they could get Jesus trapped. Even if the Romans kill him, they don't care how he's killed, but we need to get him done, because what he did on Tuesday is, it is over the top. He took us out of what we really cling to, and that is our money, our power, and our wealth. We are, what did Jesus call it? He said, I'm 
taking back this house, which is the house of prayer, you have made it a den of thieves or robbers. Exactly right. Can you imagine that? Being God is God is not that God is being stolen from, the people are being stolen from, and the ones that are doing it are the ones that are supposed to be light and white. Then it happens today. Uh, we've been saying the last couple of weeks, not everything that's pronounced as being white and light is that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And marvel not, brethren, Satan himself transforms himself as an angel of light. Lucifer, that very name, honestly, is the morning star, bright. It's amazing. You can have Lucifer, Satan, dark and light on the same being. Is it any wonder that we're having trouble discerning truth in America today? There's a lot of stuff that's pronounced as light. If you hear terms like being enlightened, the ascended masters, that's not of God. In fact, let's look at a similar place. Now, we find him in the treasury. Now, this is the second part of this lesson today. He's first of all going to, he told the scribes, in this case, he told, which, why would he say the scribes? They would come mostly from Pharisees. These are the Pharisees and scribes are literally in control of the temple. They're the ones that are responsible. They're responsible for the law. They're responsible for directing and taking the people so they get closer to God. And from their perspective, they see Moses as passing on the law to Joshua. Joshua would have passed it on to the elders. The elders would have passed it on to the prophets. The prophets would have passed it on nonetheless. But the scribes, that's how they saw it. They literally saw themselves in that line. And Jesus said to them, first of all, to the disciples, beware. Caution, guard. Remember uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, guard your heart against. For out of it come the issues of life. If we as Christians today in the year 2022, if there's something we need to be doing, is guarding our hearts. Not everything you hear or see, whether it's even from white or light, is right. Doesn't mean anything. There's so many things that seem appropriate, it seem good. Where's Jesus? I always wondered, where is Jesus in this? Where is God in this? There's a lot of things that leave God and Jesus out. There's no place for him in this. Read things that are about utopia coming, the new age. I could go on. But as you get to the end, I'm saying, where's Jesus in that? You see, these religious leaders here in this day and age, when Jesus was walking the earth, they didn't have any room for God. They were dark. They were very dark. In fact, I, I think it's, I don't know, it just keeps banging in my head. It won't let me go away. It won't go away. So let's go to John chapter 8. Now, the one thing I'd have to say is we know that Jesus is in the temple. As you're turning to John 8, where is Jesus on Wednesday of Passion Week? He is in the temple, okay? Now, we also know that in the last part of the section we haven't even really looked at, that he is sitting down, which would have been an exhausting day for him. He's sitting down where? In the treasury, because he's watching these people filing through part of the system, giving money. This would be the treasury. Well, where was that at? That would have been in the women's court. That was also a place that he's chosen to teach because anybody can come to see him and, and to hear him in the court of, of the women's court. Okay? This is also the place with the treasury so that anybody can go there so anybody can give money. That doesn't sound, it sounds logical, doesn't it? 
Now, again, keeping in mind why Jesus has cleared the temple, it's because he saw it as being literally taken as a place of business, personal business, the den of thieves or of robbers. So obviously from that, who's getting this money? You, yeah, you can put it right together. This is very simple. This isn't even God's money. They, they've separated because you can just see it. And you know, if, if, you were a, if you were a normal person, a Passover pilgrim coming to Jerusalem, and we've talked about this a number of times, but this fits in perfectly, is the fact that it's all about commerce, it's all about doing business. You would have brought your lamb from home because it probably made more sense because you've raised it. It's part of the family. That was the other thing is the cost of what this lamb was, what it really cost to shed his blood for the Passover. Well, you would bring this lamb from home. But when you'd get to the temple, as they would be preparing the sacrifices for the families, you would be told, oh, I'm sorry. That's just not good enough. That, that won't work here. But here's the deal. We can, we can go ahead and trade, trade that in. We're set up. We've got plenty of, plenty of sacrificial lambs. We knew a lot of you would be coming, and some of you don't have one, and that's fine. We can take care of that. You're going to pay 10 times. Right? And people know this. They're going to pay 10 times what it's worth because you're here and you need it. You've seen that. Why don't you do some currency exchange at an airport one time going into the country? That's always fair and square, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Him. Oh, man, that's painful, right? Well, it would be the same thing. Here you are. You need a lamb. What, why would you? Right? And you've probably been there the week before, or the year before, and saying, oh, our, my lamb wasn't good enough because they charge an absorbent amount. The funny thing that you didn't know, normally, unless you were inside, was the lamb that you traded in that wasn't good enough goes into the fold in the back, and guess what? He's all of a sudden good enough for the next people to come in. You can just see this. I mean, it's, it's corruption at its highest level. That's what's going on. That's where Jesus is literally physically sitting right now. That's where he's at. He's in this place. Let's go to John chapter 8. You're already there. Let me get there a moment. John chapter 8. <clears throat> now Jesus, in John 8, I'll be there in a second. Let's start in verse, uh, verse 1, John chapter 8. It said, Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. It's very likely then that he's probably in the same place teaching the people in John chapter 8. Well, you know, this, you are familiar with John chapter 8, you know that the scribes and Pharisees, verse 3, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and they had set her in the midst. He said unto them, Master, this woman was taken into adultery in the very act. And you go through that, and you know that by verse 11, she said, or verse 10, he says, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Now, what he'd done is it said in this place, in the temple. This is in the temple. Don't, don't, don't miss that. He's, he's teaching, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they come and they throw this woman at his feet who had apparently been caught in adultery. First thing I want to know, well, where's the guy? If this is really, you know, because there's both, both, that's how the law reads, right? So we don't even know if it's right, but obviously drag her and throw her down. And it says that he kneels down and he's writing in the dirt, writing on the, and all I know is, whatever it was he wrote, the time that it took, it was like the very light. In verse 12, we're going to find exactly what he declares he needs to be. The light would have shone into their heart, and guess what? I don't think, because he told them what? Whoever without sin can cast the first stone. <laughs> it was like shining a light in their own heart. 
That's what Jesus has been so good at all along. That's what he was trying to do once again in this last day in the temple was to show people what was most important. No, the Romans are not the most important problem you have. The most important problem you have, the first is beware of these people that are guiding you spiritually. They are of their father, the devil, is what he's going to say in, in, in John chapter. In the temple, he's telling the religious leaders to the people that they are absolutely of Satan. That went over good. And here's this woman, and they all kind of slither out. She's left alone. He said, well, where are your accusers? I don't know. He says, go and sin no more. Okay? Now, the first thing he says to the people that are surrounding him in verse 12 is this. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You want to be in the light today? There's only one light, true light. In God, there is no darkness, just as evil is not the opposite of good. Evil is the absence of good. Darkness is the absence of light. Now, it can look like light. Satan is amazing to look like light. There are so many factions right now flowing through the Internet, flowing through so many places. It looks like light. Sounds like light, it's just the other hand of the darkness. And Jesus says, I am the light. I don't look like light. I am the light. Like I said, I don't know which political party Jesus would belong to. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be Republicans, it wouldn't be Democrats, it wouldn't be Herodians. It would probably be the light party because he shined right to the heart and showed what the real deal was. All of these other political parties, all of these religious leaders, he has a name for them. They're called hypocrites. They're fakes, they're frauds. Would you not say the same today? That's exactly what's going on. In a high level. At a high level. But let's look now. He, he goes through a discourse. I'm going to let you do that on your own. But look at verse 20. Verse 19. Then they said unto him, Where is thy father? And Jesus answered. This is John chapter 8, verse 19. Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. Watch. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. <laughs> he is literally in exactly the same place in John chapter 8, declaring himself to be, I am the light of the world, as he is as we find himself in Mark chapter 12. Same spot, exactly the same place, and with pretty much the same message. Let's go back to Mark. Uh, but for, I tell you, let's go back to Luke for a moment. Let's show you the, the real issue of what Jesus has, says about these religious leaders. Now, he, he says specifically the scribes, which would be of the Pharisees. They're the ones that were in charge of the law, if you will. They were called lawyers on numerous occasions. But let's look at Luke chapter 16. Are you there? He says something in verse 13. This, uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all of these things and they derided him. What is it telling us? They loved their money. <laughs> and it didn't matter how they got it. Just give me the money. That sounds familiar. In fact, if you were going to maybe diagnose or to, to cut down quickly 
Um, first of all, we should maybe do this. What should a religious leader be? What should a spiritual leader be? What should a pastor, what should a, an elder even of a church, what, what should those people look like and be? I mean, I'm not, I don't want to make it external. I'm, I'm t- this is the real deal. What would be their character? Full of God. What else? Generosity. There's a kindness, a, a softness to generosity. Yeah, what else? Humility. Humility. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That, that probably is the overriding thing. And we were, to, you know, in Philippians chapter 2, it talks about, may this spirit be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. I mean, now you talk about humble God becoming man and dying the death of the cross to those that he created. That's ma- that, that is massive humility. And yet, it's exactly what's required. Anything else? Excuse me? Yes, love. Love for who? For what? In fact, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus laying out all of the commandments, if you will. And he said, love the Lord thy God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. And he added, with all your strength. And (laughs) they weren't asking for the second most important one. But he said, speaking of which, the second most important commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. There's a lot of love in there, isn't there? And it starts with what? Loving the Lord thy God. Those two things, those two aspects of love are totally vacant from our world today, aren't they? Amazing. We don't even know who God is in America anymore. We have our own. And loving our neighbors ourselves, pick up the newspaper or listen to political speeches as of late. So divisive, it's amazing. There's no love. It's all hate. Where does hate come from? From Satan. This isn't new information, right? So what else should our spiritual leader look like? Yes? Yeah, that's a pretty good description, isn't it? Go ahead and read that, Ron. Great 
that's a, we'll, we'll leave it there. Now, those are two, quali- those are basically qualifications for leaders within God's church. There was a couple of them that really stuck out in both of those, one being a spiritual leader, one being a leader of the business of the church. That's what a deacon is. Elder is to be spiritually leading those of a, of a, of a, a body. Did you notice the two things that we would have to say about the Pharisees or the scribes that were just glaring in the sense of they were not qualified there? Uh, filthy lucre or to be lovers of money. <laughs> Big time. They were overwhelmingly greedy. In fact, we're going to talk in just a second of how they actually went ahead to the depths of the levels that they would drop to basically take money from the congregation, if you will, from the people of which they were serving. And the second one is the fact they were extraordinarily proud. If there's two things that God cannot use, it is the love of money. Now, it is, now it's not just money. Let's make sure we understand that. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money being the root of all evil. There's those that handle money very wisely. And it's all God's stuff, right? That's a great place to be in the sense of having wealth. It's all God's. Where do you want me to use it today? That should be a question for every one of us. How do you want to use the resources you've trusted me with? How should I use those today for you and your glory and your kingdom? When you can do that, I mean, and mean it, God will bless you with more. It's like Job, but think of him for a moment. It's amazing how he was on both sides of wealth. The first that we find him in Job chapter 1, he was very affluent. He had a large family. He had a lot of stuff. And then... Satan saw, you're, you're, you're spoiling him, God. You're just giving it to him. This is, this is a joke. If you take his stuff away, you'll find out he will curse you to your face. And God said, go ahead. It won't happen that way. And you know the story. Uh, if Job had anything left, I don't know what it was. He didn't have health. He didn't have wealth. He didn't have nothing except three friends. No, wait a minute. They weren't friends. In fact, I'm convinced that even Satan tried to use them to take him apart. Really? Because they said, you really didn't deserve this. Are you really? I'm wondering. You probably did deserve this because God wouldn't do something to someone that didn't deserve it. And that's when, guess what? That little, there's a little bone in your backbone. It's called the self-righteous bone. You ever had that thing flare up? It can flare up. And all of a sudden, Job starts thinking about it. He said, wait a minute. You remember how he started? He said... The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's where he started. Great place to be, isn't it? I mean, talk about hand it over. I'm all yours, God. Yield it to the, to the end. And then by the time the three friends got done, it was like, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. Why is this? And he starts asking the why question. That is a fruitless question. And all of a sudden, God pops in on the scene, and God never answered. Mark that. If you can find where God answered Job's why question... It's not in my Bible. You'll have to show me in yours. It might be in Hezekiah chapter 41 or something, but it's not in Job. I was making that up. You look too serious. (laughs) But he did tell Job a lot about who he was. He blew Job away by all of his creative powers. He blew him away from how ostensive and supreme he really was. And Job humbled himself. And he says, I am nothing in your sight. All of a sudden, all of that stuff that he didn't have didn't even, make any, didn't even make any difference. And you know what? When he was there, he became the man God could even use more than he could on the other side of where he was. And guess what he did? He blessed him doubly. 
But what it does is it takes the inside first to get everything clean. Everything that Ron's just read from 1 Timothy chapter 3 is everything that these religious leaders are not. That's a great, that's a great place to actually define what character should be in spiritual leaders. There's also another passage that limits Titus. Right. It mirrors it very nicely. Yep. Almost word for word, in fact. Uh, Paul, it's, it's interesting, those, those passages are, are just, they, they're just parallel to one another, literally defining for us clearly what religious leaders should look like. Now, the other thing that's interesting is the way Jesus has taken this, we're going to go to the end of it, um, well, I'm not going to go to hell, I'm religious. You ever heard that one? I'm a religious man, I'm a religious woman, I'm religious. Uh, prepare, prepare, excuse me? Yeah, okay, spiritual. That, that's a, that's, a, more, that's a, a better buzzword for today anyway. Yeah, but apparently Jesus wasn't impressed with religion. Because did you see this? In, let's go back to Mark for a moment. Uh, in Mark chapter 12, and he, he's going to list. We'll go through these in a moment. But in verse 40 it says, Which devour widows' houses, he's speaking of these scribes, and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. They've been exposed to more truth than we could probably even imagine. That's what they, that was their life. They were lawyers by the sense of protecting and guarding the law, God's law. Now to think that these who had obstructed, that were corrupt, literally would have a higher level of damnation than those that were just the common folk that were in the temple. I mean, that must have taken them to suck in some air. Whoa, right? Um, particularly thinking of a lot of those televangelists that know the truth, that have chosen to what? Love money and to be extremely arrogant. Those two things go together in false teaching. And whatever is false is not true. Don't, don't ever forget. It, it's, it's not half true. If it's false, it's not true, period. So what does he describes them? He first of all tells, let's go to verse 38. At this point, uh, we did talk about a transition, 38 of chapter 12 of Mark. <clears throat> After that, he, he asked the crowd in verses 35 through 37, we talked about that last week. This is literally the last invitation to the scribes, the Pharisees, all of the religious leaders and all of the people. From that point, he said, what did David mean when he calls, my Lord shall be at my Lord's feet? which basically says that the Messiah would be from the son of David, which the people understood that, but he was also God himself. He's all God, all man. Anybody that says Jesus is not God, we talked about this all last week. If you do not make Jesus all God and all man, then that is heretical, blasphemous. There is no place for it anywhere in God's word. It's, it's not there. Anybody that detracts from Jesus being all God and all man, that's who he is, period. There's no salvation apart from that. You can't get there. And that was his last invitation to all of these people, Sadducees, scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, all of the common people. And in verse 38, he turns to the disciples, and now it's a shift. It's the last word he's spoken to the crowd. From this point on, it's all to the disciples transitioning for the last 48 hours of his life. He says to them, his doctrine, he says, beware of the scribes. In other words, take caution. Be extremely on guard. 
They are literally agents of Satan. Now, he says what they do. They love to go in long clothing. Now, if you were going to, I'm not, back in the Old Testament, uh, there was a part of which you would have, and they would have these long flowing robes, right? And, And very ornate. I mean, they would be, you know, beautiful garments. But they also, over the course of hundreds of years, and at the very bottom of them would have tassels. And the tassels became known within this sect of the, the scribes and Pharisees, those that were in front of the people, that the larger the tassels, the more holy and righteous you were. Oh, gag me, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But they loved to do that. It was all about show. It was all about show. But it also doesn't stop there. It also goes on to say that they loved salutations. They love to be called rabbi, teacher, father, overseer. There was terms of, I would just say, enrichment that made them feel big. Uh, titles, just all, all the titles. It's like doctor and all of these things that would make them feel even more important. So they, first of all, had the right robes on. They got called the right names. What else did they do? Well, if you're going to do that, you also have to sit in the right places says they would seek the chief seats in the synagogues. There's a passage, I don't remember exactly where it's at, but Jesus was watching this. And he said he was watching this, 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 uh, this how would, I guess, pandering to, to find the best places. And he, he took that on. This is exactly what they did. They wanted the highest place of honor. And then at the synagogue, they also have a platform, and they love to get up there. They wanted to be at the highest level. You, you remember the, 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 the prayer of the publican and the, and the, and the Pharisee, right? I mean, the long, lengthy, thank God I'm not like this loser here. We'll go on and on and on, right? Are you starting to get a flavor for them? Self-righteous, that's another, that's a great term, yeah. In their own minds, well, they were, they were God in their own minds. Self, 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 self. Loved money, loved everything about themselves. In fact, that, remember that rich young ruler? I hadn't thought of until we actually taught through that. Um, he came to Jesus, and, and he, he apparently, you notice, he thought enough of himself to know that he had kept all of the commandments. He told Jesus that. Well, there's arrogance, right? And then Jesus, well, you just lack one thing. Let's just cut right to the chase. You just lack one thing. Why don't you sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have eternal life. <laughs> and he's gone. See, eternal life to that young man was just more of the same. He just wanted more of everything he had forever. I didn't see that until I taught through that. Isn't that exactly right? Wow. And God said, beware. Or Jesus said, beware of those. Beware of those scribes. Now, look at this. It gets worse. All of those things would be on the pride side. But look at verse 40, which devour widows' houses. What do you mean? You mean they're tearing them down? Or what are they doing? Excuse me? Yeah, well, what? Yeah, and that's, they would use any means possible. Again, we know that they were, we went to the scriptures, we know that they loved money. They were very greedy over money. We know Jesus cleared this place up because it had become a den of robbers, a den of thieves. Well, here's a widow that had lost her husband. She would need to protect her estate or anything she had. She would go to, and I can go to the scriptures, and I can show you the scribe and a lawyer very often are simultaneously used. They just intermit. They're, they're one and the same. Now, the scribe would be more in, in course with the spiritual law, with the law of God, but he also would serve in review to law. And that widow, being in a time of need and a time of vulnerability, would come to a scribe and said, could you help me? Could you protect me? Could you 
because I've lost my husband or whatever it might be. And oh, absolutely. They've actually, these things are written down. I mean, they took a thing to write this down. And they would just continue, they would rack up charges for taking care of her estate. They would start to manipulate within it. They would figure out how ways to literally steal it from her. That word devour is to take, to steal. That is despicable. To cheat, yeah, that's an that's that's an absolute that would that would have described them in a high level. That word right there would describe these people that Jesus said to beware of. Ultimately, they would rack up these charges, and through the course, and you get to the end of her life. Guess what? Oh, and if there was any other family, they would present the bill. This is oh, I've really tried to help your your mother or whoever it might have been, but it looks like oh my goodness, isn't that something? It looks like we'll just have to take her house. Taking from the lowest, the most vulnerable people on the entire scale of the people they're serving. Absolutely. Excuse me? Yeah, that's how they took care of them. See, see they did everything. They did everything in a manner that was, that's, they took care of them. Absolutely. In fact, Jesus on another occasion, let me see if I can, if I say if I can find this. Um, there was, do you guys know what that word Corbin? Have you heard of that one? Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. I think we'll find it there. Jesus took them head on on this one. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. Um, let's see. Yeah, there we go. Matthew 15 verse 1. Matthew 15. Let's find that. Matthew 15, 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, same group, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Now, let me break that down. What, what's happening is, uh, the commandment is very clear. You find in Exodus chapter 20. Honor thy father and mother. You're to take care of them. That's, that's the bottom line. You're to honor them to take care of them. If it's, a, if, if it's at all possible. Well, they had this new tradition, this new law that said, Oh, I'm sorry, mom and dad. Uh, uh, the money that you probably could need or want or use, oh, I've already committed it to God. It's a gift to God. I, I'm sorry. Now, of course, you know that's a lie, Right? So their traditions actually overarch the very essence and commandment of God. God. Jesus called them right on the carpet. And here in Mark chapter 12, we find that they're literally taking widows' houses, literally devouring them as it, as it is, that whole system. Now, you think about that even today now. There are, there are churches, I use that in quotes, I don't declare them to be that way, but that are selling indulgences, selling ways to be prosperous, that if you buy this, literally you will be guaranteed this. Well, there were those, I, I remember it even here in the Sheridan area. Uh, it was, there was a man that told me this. He's since passed away. But when his mother passed away, that someone from the church that they were attending came and asked him to give money so that he could 
move his mother further along in eternity. That's, that's much the same way here. That's taking advantage of those, using behind the guise of spirituality, again in quotes, taking advantage of those that are vulnerable. It's happening today. This isn't new information. He said, beware. But he also is going to condemn that behavior. Absolutely. Think of that. The widows, the ones that the church is... What is pure religion? In James, it says to, to take care of the orphans and the widows. That's our responsibility. If there's someone in need, particularly a, a widow or someone that, is a, that, that doesn't have a father, an orphan, that's the church's responsibility if the family's not going to step up, if there's no family there. That, that, there's no question about it. And these people are literally taking the very essence of livelihood from these people that are the most vulnerable. <laughs> No wonder Jesus said they're a bigger problem than the Romans because they put on this armor of light. They put on their picture of light. They look like you can trust them. They act like you can trust them, and they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And marvel not. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Like that verse just keeps ringing right now. It's so very obvious for the year 2022. There are so many things that I hear that is supposedly truth, and they'll use God's word somewhere. They'll just say God somewhere in there so that it seems like you can accept that. But where's Jesus in it? Where is God in it? In almost all of those cases, there isn't anywhere to be seen. It's just like these religious leaders. Where was God in all of this? He wasn't there. He wasn't there. But now this next passage, which I guess, if I was going to, let me read it, and then I'm going to see... If uh, I will tell you how most of the time, it's probably you've heard it. Uh, verse 41 through 44. We'll read it once again. We read it once today. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, which would be in the, 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 the court of the women, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which, made a far, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, truly I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all of her living. Now, I'm, I'm going to say just most of you have probably heard a lot of sermons about those verses. And it probably went something like this. It's not really the amount you give. It's the proportion of what you give. We should be looking at it like this widow, this woman that literally gave everything <coughs> to God. Have you heard it that way? That's really common. And usually those four verses, or is there five verses? One, two, three, four. Those four verses, do you know what they never do with it? They never put it in context. They just peel those out put them on the wall, and it looks pretty nice, doesn't it? The rich guys gave a lot, but really, literally, Jesus said, the poor woman, the poor widow, the poor widow actually gave everything she had. And out of that, we get these cool lessons that we as Christians should be giving so it hurts. <laughs> have you heard that? Sure you have. You're smiling because you have. You know what it has to do with that? Nothing. It's like saying this. Now, hold, stay with me. Again, where are we at? We're on Wednesday, Passion Week, correct? 
Jesus has just had some fantastic stuff go on in the temple. He's been teaching the people. The three groups have come to him individually to take him out. And he has silenced them, every single one of them. They're just like, like a dog with his tail between his legs and ran off. Okay? And now he has just said, this is the end. He's done. They're done questioning. They're done debating. It's over. And he says, beware, people. Actually, no, he didn't say to the people. He said it to the disciples. If you go to the other passage in Luke, you'll find he says he called his disciples from amongst the crowd and said, beware of the scribes. And he describes them, what they do. They even devour widows' houses. Of those, there will be a greater damnation. Now, am I supposed to think then, after he gets done condemning, and if you, you should write this down, Matthew chapter 23, you want to see the full disclosure of what Jesus says on Wednesday in regards to the scribes and Pharisees? It's in Matthew 23. It is like, whoa, you better put your cap on because it is heavy. Okay, now am I supposed to believe this? He gets done and he says, oh, I tell you what, let's do a little time out here. Let's talk about giving. Are you kidding me? That doesn't fit. It does not fit at all. What are we talking about? He's talking about a system of which the scribes and Pharisees are fully engaged in stealing and taking from the people, leading them down the wrong path, showing themselves as being masters of light, and yet they're dark as can be. The exterior means much more to them. So what does Jesus do? He sits down, could spend a long day. He's in the treasury, hasn't went anywhere, and he's just watching the system. What's the system? If you were going to be there in the treasury, there's 13 what would be shofar type uh, receptacles. And they would have been, I don't know exactly how they're on the wall, but there was 13 like a trumpet, uh, trumpet shaped receptacles and people would put money into them. Each one of those would have a reason. It would be offering for, say, for the gold on the temple. It could be a lots of different things. But the bottom line was, again, how did we get here? Jesus had just cleansed the temple on Tuesday. Why? Because it had become a den of thieves. Who do you think was taking God's money? That's not hard. Anything was done in there was commerce for the sad, I'm sorry, for the scribes and the Pharisees. That's what was happening. So anybody's putting money in these receptacles, where do you think it was going? To them. What's the lesson? Give me the common denominator of the two words between those two passages. The word is widow. What did he say? The, what did he beware of? They're actually devouring widows' houses. This widow that gave everything, why did she give it? We don't know. In fact, this is the thing that's important. Did he say the widow was more spiritual? Did he say the widow was more giving? Did he say that she was more important? Did he say the rich weren't? Did he say anything negative about the rich? No, he didn't. He didn't say anything. He just said the woman, that poor widow, gave everything. He, she gave more than those that, had, that were wealthy. The point of the matter is the system is demanding her to do that for her to be able to get by. She's buying redemption. She's buying something because she gave everything she had. She's going to go home with nothing. Does that sound like God? I can't see that anywhere. The context is everything. This is not about giving. This is about what the system has done to these very people. He's making an example of what he's just said. He's telling them, showing them how they are literally devouring a widow's home. They've set it up so she needs to feel she's obligated to give them everything she has. Isn't that exactly what's going on here? Now, if Jesus wanted to talk about giving, and he did in other places, this wouldn't be the time and place to do that. We've just spent, if you go to Matthew 23, and if you don't feel a little bit scathed from reading what he said, 
He's calling all of these guys snakes and vipers and woes and damnations and this and cursed here. And, and then he wants to talk about a Christian giving. It has nothing to do with it. What he's showing by example is literally what those religious leaders are doing to the people they're supposed to be serving. What a crying shame, isn't it? It's a cr crying shame. In fact, it would be much like us today. Well, what can we do about it? Right? I mean, what, you know, he doesn't really tell them. Did you notice that? In fact, next week we're going to go into Mark, Mark chapter 13, and we'll probably expand someone into Matthew as well, because we're going to talk about what those disciples, there was a single disciple that came and said, it's like he didn't get any of this, right? The beware and the condemnation, and here's what's happening. The system is literally destroying my people. Who do you think Jesus... Okay, here, here's another example of this. Wouldn't you think now, here we are, he's got two days to live, Jesus. Two days before he's hanging on the cross. He knows that. The disciples don't know that. But if this was actually a lesson on giving, wouldn't it be said to Judas... Hey, Judas, by the way, what a great opportunity for us to take all of the money we have and put it right there just like the widow did. She would gave everything. Let's just be an example and put everything in there. You see how absurd this is? This has nothing to do with that. The system is what he's trying to, to, to basically pull the covers off and say, this is horrible what's happening to my father's house. This is horrible what's happening to my father's people. It has to stop. And then, well, we, we didn't read it today, but in Mark chapter 13, it's like they go outside, right? He's going home because he's, I'm just, I don't know how exhausted this man, Jesus, must have been after this day. And he goes out and they say, oh, man, is this place beautiful? Look at these beautiful rocks. We'll talk about it next week. I'm just setting you up. And it was like, <laughs> you missed it, buddy. You not heard anything I said? And then Jesus said, he says, there's not going to be one rock on top of another. It's all going to be demolished, completely taken down. <gasps> right? You know who took care of all of these problems? God did. Forty years later. Those religious sects, Sadducees became no more after 70 AD. You can't even find them anymore. They're gone. They're, they're extinct. For 40 years, God waited. And in 70 AD, the Romans completely obliterated the temple. The thing that they really used as their money piece, taking from all of those people. And you know what the disciples did about it? Nothing. You know what they did? They preached Jesus. The church got started. They saved souls. It was the same thing. Jesus didn't take them out. He literally showed them what needed to be done. It's the same for us today. Let's just wrap ourselves around sharing Jesus. It's about Jesus is what it is. People need Jesus. That's how worlds are changed. That's how families are changed. That's how marriages are changed. That's how everything changes. Just how Jesus came about it. But he did condemn those that were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. And use that word. He didn't converse with them. He condemned them. He meant no words. I wonder what he would say if he came here today. What if he visited earth? What if he had three years of ministry? Where would he spend his time? I think a lot of churches, honestly. He really would. He would get right to the heart of it, right? That's what he wanted. He wanted people to see. He called himself, I am the light of the world. He would be of the light party today. He would literally shine his light so that everyone would see the real challenges and the issues we have.
in America today. Or wherever it is, it doesn't matter if it's Russia or Cuba or Jamaica or whatever. You know what? It's the same. It's not climate change. It's not politics. It's sin. <laughs> That's why there's corruption. The right, the left, the light, the dark, it's all part of the same society. Jesus is the only way to break that down. Am I, am I annoying it? <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely Because we have to look at how would Jesus respond. That's exactly how he would respond is this very same thing. He would go right to the heart of the matter. You know what? God took care of business. It took 40 years. I mean, I'm sure this disciple says, you know, you'd have to, wouldn't you? You'd say, even the people, they must have seen what Jesus did in just those two days, Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday, he cleared it out again. And then Wednesday, he taught them from the word. Literally, I mean, what kind of a seminar would have that been? Unbelievable. They tried to take him out, get, set him up with all the, and he just silenced them. And then you'd have to say, how about on Saturday morning when Jesus is dead? Now what do we do? Remember how discouraged the disciples were? They were actually on their way to Emmaus. Oh, man, they're kicking the dirt. and can't I walk? <laughs> All in God's time. Who's in charge? God. Every second of every day of every minute. There's, there's, nothing, that, there's nothing removed from his sight. Nothing from his power. He's sovereign every second. He's fully engaged in, in, in charge. What is our job? Preach Jesus. The real Jesus. That's the other thing. There's a lot of Jesus that's not right today. But I want to preach the Jesus that's all God. The Jesus that's all man that hung on a cross. He took my sin. He took your sin. He bled because he was nailed to it for my curse, for my sin. That Jesus is the answer. He's the Savior. He's the Christos, the Christ, the Messiah. He's the one that took no prisoners here today. And he said, you know what this system is doing? It's literally taking from the most vulnerable. I think of it today. The children, the sex trafficking, all of that that's taking place in the world at a whole today is just despicable. The most vulnerable, the most weak, the most precious. What is God saying? That's why he wrote the book, John wrote the book of Revelation. We're moving to the end. There will be an end to all of this. There will be an end. I'm not here to say when it is, but it will end. I love the end of the book of Revelation. It's behind us. There is only light. There's only truth. There's no sorrow. There's no darkness. There's no tears. That's who God is. I'm ready. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're here for such a time as this. Esther, you have to think about her growing up as a young girl. All of the things that she probably knew or didn't know, Mordecai kind of coaching, not her own dad, didn't have her own dad, don't know what the deal was there, gone, whatever. But he stepped in and he took a role. And I, what would have that meant to that young woman that had become queen as the Jewish people are about to be wiped out? And there wasn't anything they could do except pray. That's where we're in America. We need to pray. <laughs> it's time to pray. But the really good thing is I can tell you the same confidence that Mordecai said to tell that young Esther. Could it not be that you are here for such a time as this? Is there not when women and children that can be saved because of your witness, of your journey? 
using the scriptures to give them Jesus? Change a life forever? Not because of you, but because of Jesus. That's how worlds are changed. That's how lives are changed. That's what Jesus said. Beware of those that say they're light. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Period. (laughs) I put the period in there because that's the way it is. There's so many, I guess, ooey-gooey, fallacy kind of stuff. Oh, we're kind of all on our own journey and our own path, and everybody's got their own Jesus. We're all kind of Christians, and it's all going to work out at the end. Baloney! Jesus made some pretty clear statements. He's either nuts or he's Jesus or he's God. It's your choice. You have to, you have to come to that. What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? No, we're not all going to heaven. But Jesus made it possible that we all could. But you have to come through him. You have to come through him. Period. We talked about Bill Gates. He's got to come through Jesus. I can name them all. You just bring them up. You got to come through Jesus. And Jesus, here's, 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 here's the love of God that is inexplicable. If you want, whoever you think it is, that's not going to be because you don't know everyone's hearts or minds. But think of the most evil, the most diabolical person that you can think of. Jesus Christ paid for those sins. Now, I'm not saying they're going to heaven because they may not appropriate what he's done. But he, I, I, I'm just amazed by this. The very night, which would be the next night, he makes Judas Iscariot the place of honor, the one that he knew would betray him. Now, that's love. That's agape love. That's the love that's so far overreaching, so far out there, it blows my mind. And that's the Jesus that I'm here today. The only reason I'm here today is because of what he did for me. And he did it for you. In fact, those scribes and those Pharisees, if they would have trusted Christ right then, they would have been saved. They chose not to believe. In fact, there was two. Remember them? There's two guys. Nicodemus. Jesus had a confrontation in John chapter 3. And the other one was Joseph of Arimathea. Those two guys were part of this religious group, shall we say. And you know what? It took some guts to go ahead and go to Pilate after Jesus was dead on the cross and said, we'd like to take his body down and give it burial. You don't think they were seen? Oh, yes, they were. That got around, didn't it? Did you, did you hear about Nicodemus and Joseph? Did you, did those guys took Jesus' body and put it in one of their tombs? What is that about? In fact, I'm pretty sure they didn't get to be on the Sanhedrin anymore. <laughs> See, that's what Jesus will do. Everything becomes yours in eternal life, and everything that God is in the sense of the canceling of the penalty of sin, the power of sin, as you yield to him, it's weak. But here's the deal. You will be chastised. That's not the right word. I don't want to use that word. You will be cast out from the world. They hated Jesus. They will hate you for taking him. If you want to be something today that you are a standout and they hate you, just say to yourself, you truly are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Those that want to be said they're unbiased, they're very biased against Christianity. That's the only thing they're biased against. 
but you won't be standing with the Lord of the world. That's the Jesus. In two days, he's going to be on a cross. He's going to pay for everything that he said he came to do. He will be our Passover lamb. We're closing out Wednesday, but he's still got something to say. We're going to talk about it next week. In fact, we probably won't get through it for another three or four weeks because prophetically, this is probably some of the most dynamic stuff that, he'll ever, that you will see is in Matthew 24. And we'll, we'll just get a picture in Mark. But we're going to take some time. We're going to see what, because of the questions that the disciples were asking about the temple. When he says, well, there's not going to be a rock. What do you mean? When's that going to happen? And he says, it's coming. It's coming. Revelation is coming. And you better choose whose side you're on. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for Jesus Christ. We just take this one day apart and we look at how he was maligned. He was tried to be killed through various lies and innuendos. And yet, he thwarted those, give a final invitation to those saying, I am the Messiah. I am all God, all man. You must come to the Father through me. He told the disciples and the people that were gathered there in the temple to beware of those religious leaders. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. He even looked at the system and what it had done to, in this case, a poor widow that gave everything she had, which literally was one sixty-fourth of a day's earnings. Think of the minute amount that she had to her existence, and Jesus said she had given it all because the system demanded it. Father, thank you for Jesus' sacrifice his life, his death, the burial, but more than anything, the resurrection. The fact that we can lay claim to our future because Jesus rose from the dead. Father, help us to be discerning. May the Holy Spirit that lives within each one that's trusted Christ as Savior, that Holy Spirit, Father, may he give discernment for us to guide, to be guided to truth, to follow it, to follow only the true light. We trust you with our future, and everything that we are, because you are God, and you alone are God. In Christ's name.